if Joe Manchin and the U.S. senators who support this legislation are willing to come together on a compromise, then we will make progress. We will help to continue to ensure access to our democracy for as many Americans as possible. That sounds good to me, Stacey Abrams. I'll take it. Progress? What? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Maybe it is. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. You doubt it, don't and you, get down the stairs clowns to the left of me jokers to the right here i am stuck in the middle with you i am from pacifica radio in los angeles this is the broadcast as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in la 98.7 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. On Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week on a day in which... The Earth Does Not Need a Blanket. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another big edition of the Bradcast, wherein we got nothing but news, Desi Doyen. (laughs) You got uh, another 10-pound show in a one-pound bag? Something like that, yeah. (laughs) There is a lot of it today. Some of it is pretty good, by the way. Good. Um, So, uh, you know, in in case you need to prepare yourself for not terrible (laughs) news, let's start here, see how much we can cover in these... uh, Slow call, so-called slow news months of summer. The United States is commemorating the end of slavery with a new federal holiday. Who could be against that? Well, you would be surprised. <laughs> Just back from his eight-day European jaunt, President Joe Biden signed legislation moments ago into law to make Juneteenth or June 19, the 12th federal holiday. The House voted overwhelmingly in favor for 415 to 14 on Wednesday to send the bill to Biden just one day after the U.S. Senate passed the bill unanimously with no senators objecting. Juneteenth commemorates June 19, 1865, when Union soldiers brought the news of freedom finally to enslaved black people in Galveston, Texas, two months after the Confederacy had finally surrendered. So that was about two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation had already freed slaves in the southern states. Oh, but, you know, take your time letting them know about it, Texas. 
See, I'm already beating up on Texas, and the show has just begun, <laughs> Deservedly Sorry so, about however. that. Well, at least in this case, I'm beating them up for something that happened more than 150 years ago, so sue me, Lone Star State. This is, of course, the first new federal holiday since Martin Luther King Jr. Day was created in 1983. And guess what? It starts right now. Since Juneteenth falls on a Saturday... Uh, this year, the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, which is the Human Resources Office for the federal government, tweeted on Thursday that most federal employees will observe the new holiday, which is officially called Juneteenth National Independence Day. They will observe the new holiday on Friday of this week. Enjoy the day off, folks. Let the Juneteenth mattress blowout sales begin. <laughs> The uh, vote comes as lawmakers struggle to overcome divisions on police reform legislation following the killing of George Floyd by police and as Republican state legislators push what experts say is an unprecedented number of Jim Crow-like voter suppression bills aimed at restricting access to the ballot box and overturning legitimate election results. Uh, when Republicans don't like them, but more on that a bit later in the show. Some Republican lawmakers in the House had opposed the effort. Congressman Matt Rosendale, Republican from Montana, said that creating the federal holiday was an effort to celebrate, quote, identity politics. You know, identity politics surrounding an entire race being literally enslaved under the law by white people like Matt Rosendale for literally hundreds of years only to finally be emancipated more than uh, two years after the law had already actually emancipated them. But freedom, independence, after hundreds of years of literal slavery and tyranny, you'd think that might be something that even Republicans like Matt Rosendale would celebrate. You would be wrong. He explained his vote in a uh, press release that I hope will live in infamy by saying, quote, since I believe in treating everyone equally, regardless of race, and that we should be focused on what unites us rather than our differences, I will vote no. His premise here that freeing the slaves uh, is something that divides us. Interesting, Matt. History shall take note. By the way, I hope you'll enjoy the upcoming Independence Holiday, Independence Day holiday on July 4th. The 14 House Republicans who voted against the bill, just so history and voters can take note here, are Andy Biggs of Arizona, Mo Brooks of Alabama, Andrew Clyde of Georgia, Scott Desjardins of Tennessee, Paul Gozar of Arizona, a lot of Arizonans on here. Uh, Ronnie Jackson of Texas. That would be Donald Trump's former White House doctor. Yeah, that kook. Doug LaMalfa of California. Thomas Massey of Kentucky. Tom McClintock of California. Ralph Norman of South Carolina. Mike Rogers of Alabama. Matt Rosendale, of course, of Montana. Chip Roy of Texas. And Tom Tiffany of Wisconsin. May they all live in eternal historical shame all dudes all republicans all white and also all who can go to hell as far as i'm concerned meanwhile at the supreme court it was decision day again today and a big one at that with two 
two, count them, two long-awaited opinions being handed down. The big one, of course, is whether the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, would be struck down in its entirety. Uh, what did Mitch McConnell used to say? Uh, root and branch. Tear it out, root and branch. Yes, in its entirety. Uh, that's, of course, had been sought by a bunch of white male Republican attorneys general in this case across the country. But the U.S. Supreme Court ruled on Thursday that the Affordable Care Act will not be struck down and remains valid, rejecting a claim by a, a ridiculous claim, in fact, from a group of GOP-controlled states uh, that a recent change to the law made the entire thing unconstitutional. By a 7-2 to two vote, the high court said the challengers did not have legal standing to sue because they did not make a strong enough showing that the law actually harmed them in any way, shape, or form. But the decision also suggested it would be difficult uh, for any challengers to try again on the same legal theory in the future. Two Donald Trump, two uh, of, of Donald Trump's three appointees to the Republicans' stolen and packed Supreme Court, that would be Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, they actually joined the majority opinion against killing the popular law that has helped tens of millions of Americans have access to health care since its passage in 2010. While the third Trump appointee, Neil Gorsuch, dissented along with Justice Sam Alito, both of whom said the court should have taken the case and declared the entire thing to be unconstitutional. And uh, then tens of millions of Americans uh, of Americans should then immediately lose their access to health care and that hundreds of millions of Americans should also be put at risk of losing their health care as well, since the Affordable Care Act actually protects everyone in America from being rejected by insurance companies due to pre-existing conditions. Once again, that is uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch and Sam Alito, who... Uh, the two white male Republicans who, I might suggest, should be added to today's wall of historical shame, along with white male Republican state attorneys general who brought this stupid case in the first place, and those white male Republicans who voted against uh, making the end of slavery in the U.S. a national holiday. We can just put them all on the wall of shame together. What do you yeah, say? Yeah, put them all in that handbasket to hell. The uh, law's uh, challengers in this case were uh, <laughs> were led by uh, Texas's white male Republican Attorney General Ken Paxton and those from 17 other Republican-led states. Of course, you may know Paxton because he is currently under felony uh, a, a felony indictment for securities fraud in the state, while the FBI is considering federal abuse of power charges against him, and as the Texas State Bar Association is considering taking away his law license entirely because of his frivolous case filed at the U.S. Supreme Court last year seeking to toss out the 2020 election results in four states, four other states that are are not Texas uh, in hopes of stealing the election for Donald Trump. That's the guy who led the case to kill uh, uh, the Affordable Care Act and insurance for millions of Americans. This group of geniuses had urged the court to rule that Obamacare's requirement for nearly all Americans to obtain health insurance or pay an income tax penalty known as the individual mandate 
uh, argued that all of this is unconstitutional. And for that reason, they said the entire law must be scrapped. I'll explain in a second this stupid case. But anyway, it's the third time the Supreme Court has upheld the law after first doing so in 2012, when the majority opinion written at the time by Chief Justice John Roberts had held the individual mandate was, in fact, a legitimate exercise of Congress's taxing authority. But in 2017, the Republican-led Congress actually set the penalty for that tax, for not uh, having uh, health care, they actually set the tax penalty at zero dollars. That led the GOP-controlled states to then argue that because the tax was effectively eliminated, since it existed, but it was only zero dollars is what you had to pay, that because of that, the law could not be saved as a tax and was therefore an unconstitutional effort to require all Americans to obtain something, which you can't do, apparently, under the Constitution, but you can tax them for something. But if the tax is zero, is it really a tax at all? That was the argument why the entire law had to be struck down. Well, a white male Republican federal judge in Texas, appointed by George W. Bush, agreed, incredibly enough, with this ridiculous theory and called for the measure to be killed. Then the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, perhaps the farthest right-leaning appeals court in the nation, they upheld that ruling. But 20 democratically controlled states led by California asked the Supreme Court to overturn those lower court decisions. They said with the tax penalty at zero, there effectively is no individual mandate. So the law is not unconstitutional. It may encourage Americans to buy insurance, but it does not require anyone do so. It does not require that anyone do anything at all, they argued. The Supreme Court's newest member, Amy Coney Barrett, who was packed onto the court by Republican senators just eight days before last year's presidential election, well, she was considered a possible vote here in agreement with the Republican states, in uh, a 2017 law review article before she was packed onto the court, she said that Roberts' uh, finding back in 2012 that the individual mandate was uh, legitimate, a legitimate government tax, uh, quote, pushed the Affordable Care Act beyond its plausible meaning to save the statute. Of course, that's when she was gunning for a job at the Supreme Court, not what she said when apparently actually had that job. Barrett joined the court's 7-2 majority on Thursday in rejecting the right-wing political operative's challenge to the law. The indicted Ken Paxton and his fellow Republicans ridiculously had argued that Congress meant the health care law to work as an integrated whole, that if any part of the nearly 1,000-page law was found to be unconstitutional, that Congress wanted all of it to be killed. That's what they were arguing prohibiting insurers from denying coverage for pre-existing conditions and allowing young people to stay longer on the policies of their parents and extend Medicaid to hundreds of thousands of Americans. Uh, that was meant to work because of the near-universal command to buy insurance, but without that command, the challengers claimed here, the law simply falls apart. You just can't have the law. 
If you don't have that one tiny piece, then the whole thing, I'm sorry. Has got to go away. The uh, Democratic-controlled uh, states, however, said that the test for that was uh, whether the, for whether the rest of the law can be saved or whether it should be struck down, they said that test was pretty simple and it was answered by Congress itself. What did Congress want? Well, the Democrats argued that the answer is found in that 2017 action (laughs) by the Republican-controlled Congress, which set the tax on the individual mandate to zero dollars and then themselves left the rest of the law intact. That's why this is such a stupid, stupid waste of time and judicial effort to say that, well, what that's what Congress wanted. Well, they can look at what Congress wanted. This is what Congress wanted. And we've wasted years and millions of dollars trying to protect health care access for millions of people. It's nuts. <laughs> it is nuts. Uh, but... At least in this case, the Supreme Court agreed. Joe Biden called the court's decision, quote, a major victory for all Americans benefiting from this groundbreaking and life-changing law, including the millions of people with pre-existing conditions and those in danger of losing their health insurance during a pandemic. He said in a statement, after more than a decade of attacks on the Affordable Care Act through Congress and the courts, the president uh, said the uh, today's decision the third major challenge to the law that the U.S. Supreme Court has rejected. After that, it is time now to move forward and keep building on this landmark landmark law instead. It is still unknown uh, why this opinion actually took so long to be handed down, especially since the Supremes uh, ended up dismissing it here simply for lack of standing. The case was heard before last year's election day. It could have happened. This decision could have happened at any time uh, before or after, but it didn't until now, suggesting there may have been some horse trading involved in all of this. That's what court watchers are furiously speculating today with Chief Justice John Roberts trying to win over some of the justices to his position uh, on the ACA case and even on the other big opinion that was handed down today as a unanimous ruling uh, by the high court. According to AP, in another victory for religious groups at the Supreme Court, the justices on Thursday unanimously sided with a Catholic foster care agency that says its religious views prevent it from working with same-sex couples. The court said the city of Philadelphia had wrongly limited its relationship with the group as a result of the agency's policy. The ruling, however, was specific to the facts of just this case, which sidesteps bigger questions about how to balance religious freedom and anti-discrimination laws, you know, so that religious folks can somehow retain their rights to discriminate against their fellow Americans like any good religion should. Am I right, Jesus? Instead, the uh, <clears throat> the outcome here turns on the language, the specific language in the city's foster care contract in a ruling that had all kinds of separate opinions and concurring opinions uh, on a fractured court that still somehow managed to find its way ultimately to a unanimous decision here in favor of the religious groups. Three Republican justices made clear that they would have gone much further, but LGBT groups said that they were relieved that the decision was limited. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote for the majority of the court here. 
that the Catholic Social Services, uh, this is the, 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 the group in question, uh, they quote, uh, seeks only an accommodation that will allow it to continue serving the children of Philadelphia in a manner consistent with its religious beliefs. It does not seek to impose those beliefs on anyone else, said Roberts, even if those beliefs mean that they will not work with gay couples to find homes for children in need. Apparently, that's allowable, at least in this case. Roberts concluded that Philadelphia's refusal to, quote, contract with the uh, company, the Catholic Social Services Company, for the provision of foster care services unless it agrees to certify same-sex couples as foster parents, that violates the First Amendment rights of the group. Uh, Because of its beliefs, the Catholic agency uh, also does not certify unmarried couples either, and apparently that is also fine. Philadelphia learned in 2018 from a newspaper reporter that Catholic Social Services would not certify same-sex couples to become foster parents. The city has said it requires the foster care agencies that it works with to not discriminate as part of their contracts. The city asked uh, CSS to change its policy, but they declined. As a result, Philadelphia stopped referring additional children to the agency the group then sued, but lower courts side, sided with Philadelphia. Well, today, the highest court in the land decided unanimously that the group was both allowed to discriminate and that the city of Philadelphia has to contract with them. Now, the ruling only applies to this specific case, as I said, and the specific contract terms that were written into Philadelphia's foster care contracting policies. It does not allow discrimination by all such groups, at least not yet. In recent years, religious groups have been thrilled to win a bunch of victories, one after another at the high court, often by wide margins. That includes cases in which... The court lifted a ban on state aid to religious schooling, gave religious schools greater leeway to hire and fire uh, uh, teachers, and allowed a cross to remain on public lands. More recently, the court repeatedly sided with religious groups when it came to fights over coronavirus restrictions. The case's outcome today was similar to a 2018 decision that I suspect you'll remember in which the court sided with a Colorado baker who would not make a wedding cake for a same-sex couple. But that decision as well, despite how some reported it thereafter, that decision was also limited to that, to the specific facts of just that case. And it dodged bigger issues of how to balance religious freedom and anti-discrimination laws. But the court since then, has lurched even farther to the right. Uh, And so a lot of folks are actually breathing a sigh of relief today that the uh, ruling only applies in the Philadelphia case. Leslie Cooper, the deputy director of the uh, ACLU's LGBTQ and HIV project, which was involved in this case, uh, they were on Philadelphia's side here, Uh, She noted the quote, in both cases, the 2018 cake case and this one, the uh, court reached narrow, very fact uh, fact specific decisions that leave non-discrimination laws and policies standing and fully enforceable by governments. 
Uh, she said, we are relieved that the court did not recognize a license to discriminate based on religious beliefs here. Opponents of LGBTQ equality have been seeking to undo hard-won non-discrimination protections. She notes, by asking the court to establish a constitutional right to opt out of such laws when discrimination is motivated by religious beliefs. She says this is the second time in four years that the court has declined to do so and said this is good news for the LGBTQ people and for everyone who depends on the protections of non-discrimination laws. Federal, state, and local governments can and should, she said, continue to pass and enforce comprehensive non-discrimination laws. This is critical given the high rates of discrimination experienced by the LGBTQ community. She says it, it will not affect any foster care programs that do not have pretty much the exact same system for uh, specific exemptions, calling it good news for the more than 400,000 children in foster care across the country who are the ones who get hurt the most if placement decisions are made based on an agency's religious beliefs rather than the child's best interest. Three Republican justices here who joined Roberts' opinion said they would have gone further. That would be Alito, Thomas, and Gorsuch. Uh, they said they would have overruled a 1990 Supreme Court decision that uh, they said improperly allows limits on freedom, religious freedom in this case. Alito called the court's ruling Thursday a wisp of a decision. Uh, Philadelphia, the uh, city solicitor, Diana Cortez, called the ruling, quote, difficult and disappointing. In a statement, she said the court had usurped the city's judgment that a non-discrimination policy is in the best interests of the children in its care, but said that she was also gratified that the justices did not radically change existing constitutional law to adopt a standard that would force court-ordered religious exemptions from civic obligations in every arena. So again, at least for now, with a hard right and growing harder writer court, <laughs> unless Democrats can get their act together and expand the court to unpack it and unsteal it from the Republicans, you can bet that this 6-3 to three right-wing court will continue to chip away at all sorts of American rights to equality in the months and years ahead. But a uh, small bullet anyway, a dodge there, sort of, for the moment. But speaking of American rights, or what we hope are still American rights in this country, like the right to vote... We got more news on the big and, as I described, very encouraging news that broke just before yesterday's broadcast on Democratic Senator Joe Manchin finally proposing a list of voting rights compromises that he can support as Republicans at the state level continue to work furiously to take away voting rights. Well, religious rights, that's one thing, but the right to vote? They're not even hiding behind so-called religious rights to do this. That's next on our broadcast. Some more encouraging news as our busy news-chalked broadcast continues. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey. 
Hey, this is Desi. The Bradcast and the Green News Report survive thanks to you and your support. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us stay independent every day over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. If you change your mind, take a chance. I'm the first in line. Take a chance. Honey, I'm chance, still free. Take a chance on me. If you need me, let me know. Gonna be around. If you got no place to go, when you're feeling down. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Yes, Democrats are going to have to take a chance on Joe Manchin, whether they <laughs> like it or not. Uh, and yes, hope that he changes his mind. Uh, welcome back to the broadcast. University of California at Irvine's election law expert Rick Hassan and I do not always agree on everything when it comes to elections <laughs> and voting rights and election integrity. But boy, howdy, based on his piece at Slate last night in response to West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin's list of voting rights compromises that he could that he says Manchin says he could support. Uh, in the sweeping election and campaign finance reform bill known as uh, the For the People Act, uh, which has already passed the House. It's supported by all 49 of Manchin's Democratic colleagues in the Senate, all of which, except for Manchin, which Manchin a week or two ago f finally said he did not support this act, the For the People Act. Well, in light of that compromise proposal from Manchin, on uh, Wednesday, just before airtime, uh, Rick Hassan and I find ourselves in almost perfect lockstep, at least based on his coverage at Slate last night, which begins this way. Senator Joe Manchin, who thus far has opposed Democrats' big election reform bill, has finally made his counteroffer. On Wednesday, the West Virginian proposed a series of changes to the For the People Act that could win his vote. Democrats should grab the deal, writes Hassan, even though it is not perfect, is still unlikely to pass and doesn't yet address the greatest threat in upcoming elections, the danger of election subversion. Now, uh, that's Rick Hassan, his first paragraph at Slate. Uh, he's uh, Hassan is calling it unlikely to pass because even if Manchin and his fellow Senate Democrats agree on a compromised version of the For the People Act, it would still need to have 10 Republicans somehow come on board in the Senate to defeat a GOP filibuster, which, as I suspect Manchin will eventually learn, but we'll get to that in a second, uh, is virtually, if not completely, impossible. It's impossible to even fathom, much less see it come to pass. That 10 GOP senators yes, would show yes. up to join in on voting rights. Uh, Manchin will be lucky if even one Republican comes on board here, given that he is calling for things, uh, many of which are in the original bill already passed by the House, like automatic voter registration. Republicans don't want that. Two weeks of mandated early voting in every state. Well, they don't want that. An end to partisan gerrymandering. What? They certainly don't want that. A curb on dark money and campaign spending. That's just some of the uh, other things which would be very, very good to put in place. Things that now Joe Manchin does say he supports. Be great to put that in place to help counter the voter suppression measures that are being passed all over the country in GOP-controlled states. And it needs to be done quickly. 
in advance of 2022 before uh, Democrats lose either the House or and or the Senate, in which case none of this gets done for years. Now, Hassan's reference there to the danger of election subversion as the greatest threat in upcoming elections. Well, that's something uh, that I also spent uh, some time pointing out uh, uh, again yesterday that these Republican state level bills do not just not only suppress votes and voters, they also include mechanisms to overturn election results outright, pretty much at the whim of you know, any Republican state legislature in one of these states that's passed one of these laws. Manchin's proposal does nothing to counter that, but I need to point out that neither does the original For the People Act. Hassan sees that somewhat differently, uh, but for the most part, nothing in For the People, whether it's the uh, original Democratic version or the version that Manchin is calling for here, does anything to uh, block the Republican ability to simply throw out election results that they don't like. Nonetheless, as Hassan argues, and and despite a number of points that are uh, from uh, Manchin that are either watered down or removed entirely from the original bill or even added under Manchin's proposal, Democrats should and must find a way to grab this deal, put it into legislative language and bring it to the floor for a vote ASAP. As Hassan argues, yes, Democrats should jump, he says, at the opportunity to pass such a bill, but it is also fair to acknowledge it is far from perfect. Many of the darlings in the For the People Act are not on Manchin's list, such as felon reenfranchisement, public financing of congressional elections, restructuring the often deadlocked Federal Election Commission, and limiting state voter purges. Not only would the Manchin proposal continue to allow states to engage in voter purges, he notes, it also will require some form of voter identification for voting in federal elections, though in a much more relaxed form than some of the strict rules that some states have enacted. Republican states. Correct. And that, of course, is a point that I also made yesterday as well. Manchin is calling for voter ID but not in the way that many Republican states have implemented it in these in these very, very strict versions that do not allow for, you know, I.D. uh, by things like bank statements, paycheck stubs, gas bills, etc. But many, many states, a majority, in fact, Republican and Democratic alike already require Those more relaxed voter ID requirements, which are far less of a concern than the ones adopted by these hard right states that are meant not to prevent fraud, but in fact are meant to prevent voting by certain people who those same Republicans know do not actually have the very specific type of ID required under those strict draconian uh, photo ID voting restrictions. Again, this is a good deal being offered to Democrats, writes Hassan, and I agree. And Democrats, he says, should grab it. Voter identification is not necessarily bad if it is implemented fairly, has ways for people who lack ID to still vote, and is funded fully by the government. Many of the items, he says, on the Democratic wish list not here are much less urgent than what is being offered and can be pursued another time. 
I could not agree uh, more than I do with uh, Rick Hassan on this. And prominent voting rights champion Stacey Abrams of Georgia apparently feels the same way. She threw her support behind Senator Manchin's rundown of voting measures that he would support on Thursday morning on CNN, saying she, quote, absolutely supports the compromise. What Senator Manchin is putting forward are some basic building blocks that we need to ensure that democracy is accessible no matter your geography. And those provisions that he is setting forth are strong ones that will create a level playing field, will create standards that do not vary from state to state, and I think will ensure that every American has improved access to the right to vote despite the onslaught of state legislation seeking to restrict access to the right to vote. Cool. So Rick Hassan, Stacey Abrams, and Brad Friedman all agree on the <laughs> yeah. Mansion proposal. When she was pressed on the uh, voter ID provisions in the uh, Mansion proposal, she uh, w- waved off the uh, assumptions from many that she might be against them. That's one of the fallacies of Republican talking points that have been deeply disturbing. No one has ever objected to having to prove who you are to vote. It's been part of our nation's history since the inception of voting. What has been problematic is the type of restrictive ID that we've seen pop up. In South Dakota, where Native Americans were told that they had to provide IDs with addresses the state refused to provide. We have states where students are not allowed to use their student IDs, but you can use your gun license. People can prove their identity in various ways, but we should not narrow the level, narrow the playing field so much that we push voters out of participation simply because of restrictions that make no sense and do not increase security. I support voter identification. I reject restrictive voter identification designed to keep people out of the process. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Stacey Abrams, which is one of the reasons I've been yelling and screaming for I don't know how many years to stop saying, uh, you know, to Democrats and to voting rights folks to say, you know, to stop saying uh, we oppose voter ID. Voter ID is fine if it is done properly. What you actually correct What you actually oppose are strict photo ID provisions that purposely keep people from voting. But if you call them voter ID, oh, Republicans want voter ID, Americans hear that and they're like, oh, yeah, I want voter ID, too. I have no problem with that. It's one of the reasons why voter ID is popular. But if you explain to voters what we're talking about and that some 20 to 30 million Americans do not have the specific type of of photo IDs that are required by these draconian Republican bills, well, then people say, yeah, I got a problem with that. Back to Hassan here, and and here we part ways in a very narrow way. Ultimately, he writes, the biggest problem with the Manchin counteroffer is its failure to address the danger of election subversion that Republicans are working uh, are, are reworking state election laws to make it easier for partisan officials to miscount votes to alter election outcomes. A key provision of the For the People Act, he writes, that works against election subversion is a requirement for all states to use paper ballots in elections. Now, that is somewhat misleading, and I believe Hassan has this kind of wrong a little bit. The For the People Act requires paper ballots, but they needn't be hand-marked paper ballots. They can be created, uh, printed out by computers, on uh, what are called computer ballot marking devices, or BMDs, which, as we have spent, oh, I don't know, (laughs) 
how many, many years. years explaining can never be known after an election to actually reflect the intent of any voters. Because, in fact, voters do not check the printed out ballots. And as studies have shown, about 93 percent of such voters do not notice when the computer has actually flipped one of their votes when it printed out this uh, paper ballot that is not a hand-marked paper ballot. So, yes, for the people, uh, the the original bill has a lot of great stuff, but it does not have a mandate for hand-marked paper ballots currently. And Which, we need a mandate for hand-marked paper ballots. Correct. Just want to say that. Correct. And that would at least help fight what Rick Hassan describes as election subversion. But frankly, even that would not block some of the measures that Republican states are putting in place that allow them to simply reverse election results. It doesn't uh, allow them to count differently. It just allows them to reverse results no matter what is on the ballot, hand-marked or otherwise. Abrams sort of addresses this issue in, uh, in her comments on CNN Today. This is a first and important step to preserving our democracy. Unfortunately, we have been watching a slow-motion onslaught where state after state we are seeing anti-voter legislation, legislation that seeks to criminalize and intimidate election workers, and, and voting laws that will subvert democracy by making certain that small coteries of people can overturn election results. Those should be untenable to any American. And if Joe Manchin and the U.S. senators who support this legislation are willing to come together on a compromise, then we will make progress. We will help to continue to ensure access to our democracy for as many Americans as possible. And that is always a native good. Yes, it is. So uh, in any event, I'll go back to agreeing with both uh, Hassan and uh, and Abrams here, uh, where Hassan says... Um, uh, writes, they say, though, not to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And Joe Manchin's counteroffer is pretty, pretty good. <laughs> At least, he says, it's a start. Most importantly, Joe Manchin, the last obstacle on the Democratic side standing in the way of voting reform, supports it, which will allow the party to put to the test Manchin's attempt to get bipartisan support for a voting bill. Nobody believes he can do it, however, but let's put him to the test. Even he, by the way, does not seem to believe that anymore, at least based on a pretty, well, a generous reading of recorded remarks of of his own that were released last night by The Intercept, uh, Intercept which obtained a recorded Zoom teleconference session from Monday night of this week with Joe Manchin speaking with the so-called uh, centrist, but really Republican, center-right, corporatist at best group, uh, which calls themselves no labels. But here, too, we, we have mostly encouraging news on this, as reported by our friends Lee Fong and Ryan Grimm at The Intercept last night. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, in a private call on Monday with a group of major donors, provided a revealing look at his political approach to the most thorny issues confronting lawmakers. The meeting was hosted by the group No Labels, a big money operation co-founded by former Senator Joe Lieberman. Just to give you an idea of what this group is about. Mm -hmm. uh, they funnel uh, high net worth donor money to so-called conservative Democrats and so-called moderate Republicans. Among the gathering's newsworthy revelations, they write, Manchin described an openness to filibuster reform, which is at odds with his most recent public position that Fong and Grimm argue will bowie 
some Democrats' hopes for enacting their agenda. So even if Joe Manchin were to come on board with the uh, For the People Act and all 50 of the Democrats agreed on a, on a version they liked, it would still not pass due to the filibuster. And sadly, Joe Manchin is also the guy holding up reform to the filibuster. At least he has been the loudest. Now, this call and uh, some of this audio here, this call it, it, overall is just pretty gross. There's a lot more to it uh, that they write about at The Intercept, as Manchin is basically heard suggesting that the group try to buy off some Republicans, either with m campaign money or, or promises of future jobs, which is kind of illegal. But, you know, since no one forces federal election law, never mind that for now, uh, all of uh, in hopes of, of getting some of these Republicans to vote for the January 6th commission, which Manchin admits he is embarrassed by because on even that, a bipartisan commission to examine what happened when the House and Senate were attacked by an angry, violent, deadly mob on January 6th, even on that, he could not get the 10 Republican votes needed to overcome a filibuster. As Manchin desperately clings to this idea that the filibuster makes lawmaking work somehow and, and in a bipartisan way in the U.S. Senate, which it absolutely does the opposite of. Other than that, he's totally right. But focusing on his remarks on the uh, on the Zoom conference here regarding the filibuster, that, that he has not offered these comments in such specifics publicly. Apparently, he only gives these to big money donors Apparently he only, you know, tells them what he's actually thinking. Apparently he's negotiating with them, not with you, not with the public, not with uh, other senators openly, but with the donors. In any event, Fong and Grimm report here that the group is passionately supportive of the filibuster, the No Labels group. And when multiple donors quizzed Manchin on his stance, the senator displayed an openness to reform that is at odds with his latest public statements. Last spring, Manchin had briefly said he could support a uh, talking filibuster requiring the minority to hold the floor rather than putting the onus onto the majority. But after an uproar from Republicans, he penned an op-ed in The Washington Post saying that he would not, quote, weaken or eliminate the filibuster, which at the time optimists noted uh, sort of left the door open for, you know, at least rhetorically for reforms. And then in June, when he was asked uh, if he was main uh, committed to maintaining a 60 vote threshold for the filibuster, he said uh, he wanted to, quote, make the Senate work, which he then repeated uh, every time he was asked about it, which doesn't tell us much. His openness, however, to filibuster reform on the call is notable because it sort of flies in the face of what many of the attendees on that call had actually hoped to hear. He was asked about potentially lowering the, th uh, the threshold uh, for the filibuster from 60 votes to 55. He said he was considering that. He said that's one of many good, good suggestions I've had. He said he looked back to when it was lowered previously in the uh, 1970s from 67 votes to 60. Uh, and also why that happened at the time and why they thought they needed to change it then. So he says he's open to looking at that. He says he's just not open to getting rid of the filibuster entirely. OK, again, progress. This is progress because nothing gets passed in this Senate unless there is some kind of reform to the filibuster. So uh, back to Manchin here. He, he uh, talked about a so-called talking filibuster. 
earlier, and now he brought that up again. And the audio here is not great. My apologies for that. But see if you can make out what he's saying here, and then I'll translate afterwards. Manchin is basically arguing for reform that would require 41 senators in the minority to make their case rather than forcing the majority to come up with 60 votes. I think basically it should be 41 people should have to push the issue versus the 60 that we need in an affirmative. So find 41 in a negative. Now I think one little change to be made on the right now to be made is basically anyone who wants to filibuster ought to be required to go to the floor and, and basically state your objection and why you're filibustering and also state your cure what you think needs to change to fix it so you would support it. To me, that's pretty constructive. I'm telling you why I'm against something. So, uh, again, my apologies for that bad audio, but that was Joe Manchin on Monday saying that uh, 41 people should be forced to explain why they are against something and what would be needed to change their mind about it, calling that pretty constructive. He's saying, I'm telling you why I'm against something in doing this. Now, after saying that folks should have to say why they're against something, Manchin then released his list of compromises for the voting rights legislation this week, even though he actually doesn't speak, uh, he doesn't specify what he is against. But some of the provisions that he does not list in his compromise, presumably we can assume he's against those for now. It's unclear if he opposes what is not listed or if he just didn't bother to list it. But again, progress, progress toward a voting rights bill with Manchin's proposal and progress towards filibuster reform with Manchin's secret remarks there to big money donors. And if progress isn't what progressives stand for, I don't know what they do stand for. So I am standing firmly behind this progress as good news for those of us who care about voting rights and democracy. Yes, we are moving too slowly, I grant you, but we are moving in the right direction. And given that something is better than nothing in this case. I hope Democrats in Congress will snatch up these offerings and turn them somehow into legislation ASAP before 2022 happens and the hope of any legislation passing under a GOP-controlled House and or Senate becomes the reality at that point that we are all looking at now. This is progress. Let's keep it moving. Let's take action. Desi Doyen and the Green News Report is next. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Our nightmare election may be over, but new ones are on the way. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But, of course, we need your help to do it. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make an automated monthly pledge of any amount you like or even just a one-time-only contribution to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. The fight for voting rights, civil rights, and to save our planet continues. Please help us continue that fight independently over your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate right now. Go ahead, do it right now. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you.
You know, I, I know it seems like just because I uh, beat up on Texas at the top of the show and at the middle of the show and the end of the show that I don't like uh, your home state of Texas, Desi. <laughs> but that is not true. I actually love Texas. I just don't care for the people who run it and yeah. what they are doing to the people who live there, including many of your family members, as uh, discussed yet again in today's latest Green News Report. Meanwhile, the heat in Texas is creating more power problems. Customers are being asked to conserve energy to avoid rolling power outages. Cold weather knocked out Texas power in February, and heat threatens to do so now. Intensifying mega drought stokes water conflict in Oregon. Plus, Colorado State Legislature approves slew of climate action legislation. That slew of stories and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The fear is always that we're going to learn the wrong lessons, and this is one of our grand Texas traditions in many ways, is to blame the wrong people and make the wrong decisions. Glad there's a guy in Texas saying that for a change, so I don't have to. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, this is bad. This is really bad. We are smashing, obliterating records, heat records all over across the country. Yes, it is hard to understate how remarkable this early season heat wave in the U.S. West actually is. Salt Lake City, Utah and Billings, Montana this week broke their all-time highest temperatures ever recorded in 150 years of record keeping. Mm. In Texas, the extreme heat is generating record electricity demand, so the state's troubled grid operator ERCOT has asked consumers to conserve electricity to avoid blackouts. Officials say the shortage is due to a large number of coal, gas, and nuclear generating units being offline for repairs. Uh-huh. Very unusual for this time of year. Yeah. As long as the temperature doesn't get too cold in Texas or the temperature get too hot, the electricity works great. Other than that, Good luck, Texas. The new power crisis hits just four months after that disastrous, deadly winter blackout that cut off water and power to millions of Texans for days amid frigid temperatures. It also killed a few hundred of them as well. A similar grid failure now could also be deadly. Mm. Remember, Texas can't import power from other states because lawmakers intentionally cut off its grid from the rest of the country to avoid federal regulation. Well, it is a whole other country. And thanks to the state's deregulation, In an emergency, utilities are free to charge customers astronomically higher rates. The state's power system is increasingly vulnerable to man-made climate change that is intensifying the extremes of both winter and summer. Energy expert Dr. Michael Weber of the University of Texas in an interview with Climate Crocs warns, The new normal for weather is probably different than the old normal. And a lot of our planning in Texas, whether it's for highways or the water systems or the parks or the energy infrastructure, by historical culture and law, looks backwards the last 100 years. What was the weather over the last 100 years? What was the hottest high and the lowest low and the wettest year and the driest year? And we really should be planning based on the future of weather, not the past of weather. Oh, planning for what's coming rather than what was. Well, then Texas would have to admit something is changing. 
An emerging mega drought across the U.S. West is also hampering electricity generation from hydroelectric dams due to lack of water, a problem that experts project will become increasingly frequent due to man-made climate change. At Oregon's Klamath Falls, conflict over water is brewing. A small group of right-wing protesters are threatening to open the headgates of the Klamath Dam to restore water deliveries to farmers that were cut off by federal regulators due to the drought, as required by the Endangered Species Act and Native American tribal agreements. Cool, domestic terrorists. Drought-stricken Nevada has become the first state in the nation to enact a permanent ban on certain types of grass, so-called useless grass, that doesn't serve a purpose, like grass on street medians. They're banning grass in Nevada? Certain types of grass that don't serve an actual functional purpose. To save water? Yes. Okay. Meanwhile, President Biden's climate agenda is colliding with Trump's judiciary. A Trump-appointed judge has struck down the Biden administration's suspension of federal oil and gas leasing on public lands and waters. It was not an all-out ban, as Republican lawmakers have falsely claimed. The pause was enacted pending the outcome of a review of the federal leasing program. Huffington Post reports that the ruling highlights what may be the biggest obstacle to Biden's climate agenda, a judiciary packed with right-wing judges widely criticized as ideologues, including 54 judges that Trump placed on federal appeals court benches. Finally, some good news. A Colorado bill banning plastic bags and foam containers by 2024 has passed the state legislature. It also allows cities to pass stricter ordinances, making Colorado the first state in the nation to repeal a state law that preempted local plastic bag bans. It's part of a group of bills boosting clean energy and environmental justice signed by Democratic Governor Jared Polis that target clean energy investments and energy efficiency. So first they banned bags, then they banned bag bans, and now they're unbanning the bag bans. Exactly. So everyone should get rid of their plastic and get a brand new bag. (laughs) Yes. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't even make sense of, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Told you we had a uh, news crammed broadcast today. Thank you very Indeed. much, Desi Doy, and thanks to everybody out there for joining us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. All of which is made possible by those of you who support our efforts. Thank you by stopping by bradblog.com/slash donate. We are 100% listener-supported, and yes, you are one of those listeners. Bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at TheBradBlog. I'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. (laughs) 